Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. like to thank W.J. Pierce for creating and performing our music. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Thorn and Cross Haunted Nights Live. We're your hosts, Alistair Cross and Tamara Thorne. Thank you for joining us. Uh, before we introduce tonight's guests and get started, uh, we'd like to tell you a little about Exorcism, our latest Ravencrest Saga collaboration. Uh, and with me to do that for us is my co-host and collaborator, Tamara Thorne. That's me. Midnight, the witching hour, watery echoes in an empty building, the grand Greek pool at Ravencrest Manor babbles and gurgles as chlorine-scented water pumps flowing like cool blood in veins and arteries. The moon, full and high above the arched glass ceiling, shines in light into the cobalt pool, casting (laughs) not sphinctered rays, splintered rays across the water. Splintered rays across the water, picking up golden. <laughs> I cracked myself up. I'm sorry. Golden highlights as it reflects on the constellations, the planets, the moons set into the bottom of the pool. A spring and a thunk from a tall diving board, then a splash as someone dives in, and somehow water explodes into the air. The sound ebbs and flows with movement. But if no human ear is present to hear it, no eye to see it. Can these things be real, or are they merely tricks of light and sound, magic courtesy of Mother Nature? Soft golden lamps flicker to life, and then music, faint but unmistakable, rises and echoes. Eddie Cantor, if you knew Susie like I know Susie. Oh, oh, what a girl. Laughter. The sounds of a party of voices of glasses clinking. Something white and serpentine slithers and stirs beneath the water, like glistening cold silk, gone and there and gone again in an instant. All right. And you can find Exorcism as well. Book one, The Ghost of Ravencrest, and book two, The Witches of Ravencrest, in ebook and paperback at Amazon and everywhere books are sold. And no, there are no sphinctered rays, even though we kind of <laughs> wish now that we had put those in there. <laughs> I kind of wish All that right, too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. That's how ideas are born right there. All right, so We're very 10. quickly, okay. uh, you can learn more about what we do at our websites, alistaircross.com and tamarthorne.com. You can visit our mutual blog at thorneandcross.wordpress.com. If you tweet, our handles are at crossalister and at tamarthorne. You can visit our Haunted Nights Live page on Facebook, and you can find us on Instagram at, at thorneandcross, or you can find me at, at official underscore alistaircross. For more information on the show, you can visit Authors on the Air on Facebook, Twitter, and at AuthorsOnTheAir.com. Thorn and Cross Haunted Nights Live is a broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, LLC. All right, finally, tonight we are excited to talk to award-winning author Matt Ruff, whose work includes such critically acclaimed novels as 88 Names, Lovecraft Country, Bad Monkeys, The Mirage, Set This House in Order, Fool on the Hill, and Sewer, Gas, and Electric, the Public Works Trilogy. He lives in <laughs> Seattle, Washington, and uh, for more on him, you can visit him at uh, buymattruff.com. 
the book we're going to be talking about tonight is Lovecraft Country, and you can buy it anywhere books are sold. And this Sunday, August 16th, it premieres on HBO. So first of all, uh, welcome to the show, Matt. And second of all, congratulations. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's it's been quite a quite a week and quite a quite a year actually so far. So. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah, that, that's oh, yeah, why I I'll made bet, all those bet. mouthos. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here. Um. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still laughing about the sphincter rays too. That was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's going to end up in something somewhere, and it's going to hurt. Um. <laughs> oh God, no! All right, so. So you, uh, I, I guess, um, we want to talk um, We Oops. have downloaded Allison? it to our Kindles. Yeah. Yes. Okay, you were you were breaking up. Just, yeah. You're okay. okay. All right. Uh, we want to talk about Lovecraft Country. We downloaded it to our Kindles, but we have not started it yet, so there will be no spoilers from us, but we're looking forward to it. But uh, before we get into that, Matt, can you tell us, um, I guess, how you – tell us about your journey to publication. Of this specific book? Um, yeah, it was um, – I actually originally pitched this as a TV series back in 2007. And the idea was I wanted to do a show kind of like The X-Files where you had a recurring cast of characters having weekly paranormal adventures. But – um, instead of being about white FBI agents in the 1990s, it was going to be about a black family who lived in Chicago in the 1950s and owned a travel agency and published a, a fictional version of the Green Book called The Safe Negro Travel Guide. And it was basically about um, this family getting drawn into a series of real-life weird tales. But at the same time, they were going to be dealing with these sort of more mundane terrors of life during the Jim Crow era. So, um, and that's kind of how the title came into it. I needed a thematic bridge between sort of paranormal horror and the basically in racism and kind of HP Lovecraft mm-hmm. is perfect for that because he's both, he's, oh. you know, obviously a famous horror writer, but also a white supremacist. And so, Oh yeah. So Lovecraft Country kind of was this, this kind of this double entendre about it's it's the it's the supernatural realm where monsters come from, but it's also white America of the 1950s where a different kind of monster comes from. So um, so that was the basic idea. And when I when I pitched this in 2007, it was probably a little ahead of its time, and I also may not have been the best pitchman for it, but. I really liked the idea, so when it got rejected as a TV idea, I tried to see if I could figure out a way to make it work as a novel. And one of the things I wanted to preserve was this sort of monster of the week aspect where it's a, it's a black ensemble cast, and I basically wanted each of my main characters to have a chance to star in their own reimagined weird tale. So um, the book is, is basically like binge-watching a season of television. Each chapter is a, both a standalone episode featuring one of the main characters having a particular, you know, like doing a, a, a version of Jekyll and Hyde, or, you know, there's one where uh, this woman named Letitia buys a house in a white neighborhood, and it turns out the house is haunted, so she's got to deal with a ghost and the neighbors. Wow. And, Um, And these stories all fit together, though, into a larger arc story having to do with this family's relationship to this weird group of white sorcerers out in New England. So, um, and and again, yeah, so that's that's the basic concept. And so, and when I was writing it as a novel, of course, I had in the back of my head this idea that the book could serve as a proof of concept for a, a TV show if I got it done right. And that ended up succeeding beyond my wildest dreams when uh, the book was published in 2016. 
right around the time Jordan Peele was finishing up Get Out and thinking about his next project. And uh, somebody sent mm-hmm. him a copy of the book, and uh, my CIA agent called me and said, hey, you know, this is kind of odd, but <sighs> Jordan Peele wants to talk to you, and he's mostly known for comedy, but apparently he's <laughs> looking to break into horror. Uh, wow. And that was that was sort of how it happened, and so I, I ended up having a really good phone call with Jordan and also with Misha Green, who's the the show the showrunner of the series, and uh, uh-huh. and it was just we were all on the same page, we were all excited about the story for the same reasons, and uh, I was I was thrilled to have them want to do it, and then. Not long after that, the the first trailer for Get Out dropped, and of course, as soon as I saw that, I immediately understood uh, why Jordan had been interested, and uh, that yeah. and the success of Get Out sort of greased the skids for for the thing to actually get made. Because once that that hit, Jordan could basically do whatever he wanted, and I just mm-hmm. was fortunate to be the beneficiary of that. So that's how we got right. here. Nice, nice, this is that's, wonderful, that's so exciting. How- yeah, how cool is that? And you, you told us, uh, we were talking a little bit before the show, and you told us that, uh, you know, you have seen a few, like the first five episodes of this, and you're you're happy with it. Oh, yeah, extremely happy. I mean, I knew it was going to be good, but it's one thing to think that and quite another to see it. And it just, yeah, yeah. I, I could not have asked for a better translation of the novel into into TV. So I'm, I'm just really, I'm really looking forward to seeing what other people think. I mean, that's one of the fun things these last few weeks is seeing other people who've seen previews talking about it online and getting excited. And it's just, it's just Uh, so much fun. This is so wonderful for you. I'm so happy for you. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I just, there's a part of me that still can't believe it. I mean, I've been living with the knowledge of the TV series for the past three years, but now that it's actually about to happen, it's just, wow. So, yeah. Right. Wow. Right. It's a whole different thing. Yeah, that's really, really cool. Congratulations on that. And, Thank you. And, you know, Jordan Peele, Jordan Peele, you know, we are big, oh. big fans. So that is like, I mean, that's like jackpot, you know, really cool. Congratulations yeah. on that. Yeah it's, yeah, it's funny. My timing for once was right. I mean, I've been, you know, this is, <laughs> I, I, I was, I, my first novel was published when I was 22. I'm 54 now. Wow. So like I waited 32 years to be an overnight success, I guess. And it's just, yeah, it's, but it's, That's it's normal. really gratifying and wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you, in, it, we were reading uh, an interview with you and you said you knew you wanted to be a writer when you were five. That takes the jackpot. I think, Alistair and I were both about eight before we do. We've never heard of anybody that young. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I say five, but it's just like, basically, I seem to have come wired from the factory to want to do this. And, and yeah. the good thing about starting that young, I guess you guys would know, too, is like, first of all, that you, you just don't, you, you're too young to understand what the hurdles are. And it's just like, you, it doesn't uh-huh. occur to you not to think you could make a living this way. And it also, you've got right. plenty of time with other people paying for your food before you've got yeah. to make a living at it. So, um, yeah. So it's, yeah, it was, you know, I got a lot of the bad writing out of the way when I was still young. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what kind of things did you write? Like, like I, from about, my mother said I was about three when I started requesting all ghost stories all the time. And I know how she let me buy all the ghost stories I wanted when I was older. And that I was always telling them and all that. And so I, I went there. What did you do? Because you write all kinds of genre things. I, I mean, I, I, yeah, I read whatever. Again, I, it never occurred to me not to read what I wanted, and I was actually, you know, I, I read a lot of different stuff, including stuff that I probably shouldn't have been reading at a young <laughs> age. But 
Um, <laughs> and what my writing generally, like, like I always was drawn to long form stuff. Like even when I tried to write short stories, they would turn into serials or, you know, like I think one of <laughs> yeah. my first attempts at a novel, I was fascinated. I was an only child. So I was fascinated by the idea of big families. And so I did this weird, surreal eight is enough type <laughs> I call it a novel, but really it was just I'd write a chapter and then I'd do, you know, where the, the kids are like digging uh-huh. secret tunnels under the house or, and then the next <laughs> chapter would be they, they got some kind of flu and they're passing out in the hall. So it's this weird sort of little kid soap <laughs> yeah. opera. And I would just oh, write and keep going until I got bored and then I would start it over again. And uh, it, a lot of the early things were like wow. that. And I, I also loved the, the borrowers when I was a kid. So I had a whole, I did a uh-huh. whole series of stories about little people living in the walls of this house. And, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Different different tribes, you know, you had the monster littles who lived in the basement and the aqua littles who lived in the plumbing and so forth. And But again, very serialized, but then also all sort uh-huh. of blending together. And then uh, slowly I taught myself structure and figured out, you know, okay, you've actually yeah. got a beginning and an end and, and, uh, and, and making these things work as coherent stories. And then by the time I got to Cornell, I was, I was ready to start working on something that I could actually sell. And my senior thesis at Cornell, I, I studied English with a with concentration in creative writing, was Fool in the Hill. So, um, <laughs> And it's good, that, nice. it's good that the whole novel writing thing worked out because I, I have no interest in teaching, and there's really not much else you can do with a, a creative writing degree than that. So, Yeah. Right. Um, wow. Wow. Yeah, Did you another, ever write another anything? Another thing we learned about you oh, is that you, you kind of write uh, you you don't tend to write in the same genre. Uh, that's 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 interesting. Do you have a a favorite, and how come how come you uh, tend not to do that? It's it's again. This is one of the this is another side effect of just being sort of self taught this way. Is it just never occurred to me that you had to stick to one genre. So, and I was fortunate in that my my very first publisher, Fool in the Hill, is a is a is sort of a, a college fantasy, but it's. It's set at Cornell, and then there's you know there's talking dogs. There's I, I I borrowed the little people from my childhood, and I have got you know I've got these sort of sprites living in the bell tower. Um, but the it's like it's basically it's like three or four different novels crammed into one, and the sort of the linchpin is that there's this Greek god going by the name of Mr. Sunshine who periodically comes to Earth and arranges oh. these sort of spectacles, and so he's decided at Corn you know to show up at Cornell and basically get into a a sort of creative duel with this um, this novelist who lives on campus, who was very much a Matt Ruff, you know, Mary Sue character, and <laughs> so it was, it, you know, that was sort of a fantasy novel, and it 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 could very easily have been marketed with a fantasy type cover, but my publisher at the time, Morgan Entrican, thought that it could appeal to to people who didn't know they liked fantasy too, so he rejected the uh-huh. early cover art, and you know, basically had it gave it a sort of ambiguous cover that could be fantasy but could also be lit fic. And, and, and it, wow. I think it was Charles Delint who once told me that I was very lucky not to have gotten stuck with the curse of the unicorn, you know, the, the cover oh, the unicorn cover where you're then expected to oh, write high yeah. fantasy for the rest of your life. And right. because of this, I was able to basically pick my next, you know, I could do whatever I wanted next. And Sewer Gas and Electric is basically this weird futuristic science fiction story that's also a satire of Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. And again, uh-huh. I just wrote that because it was a cool idea and I wanted to do it. And that was followed up by Set This House in Order, which is a, a, very, a, a fairly realistic story about two people who are friends who both have multiple personality disorders. So it's about a relationship with them, between <laughs> them. 
And and by that point, I was just like, yeah, it became the thing that I would just, oops, just sorry, the phone just fell off the, um, and and basically, yeah, from there on in, it just became sort of a thing that yes, I I, I never stepped in the same genre twice, and it, uh-huh. it wasn't it wasn't like I was consciously avoiding anything. It was just part of it. It's just I like novelty. Uh-huh. I like doing things I haven't done before, and uh, and I. My publishers amazingly were, were willing to let me get away with this. You know, my publicist didn't always love uh-huh. it, but because what do you, you it, know? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Do you do you usually have some sort of fantastic element of some kind? It sounds like you do. Just that is that said. is one of the that is one of the sort of you know like like in terms of strict category genre, there there tend to be shifts every time, and and I'll borrow elements from different genres, but. Yeah, there's usually uh-huh. there's usually some fantastic or wild element in it just because I, I like that stuff. Um, yes. The other common features are I, I tend to enjoy culture clashes, like forcing people with very different perspectives to interact with each other where there's no easy way mm. out. Um, and yes. I really like writing from the perspective of characters who are different from me, people from different backgrounds, different cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, it, it's just so much more interesting than, than just writing about people who are carbon copies of myself. So, and again, I've been really fortunate that I've been allowed to do that and it, it readers yeah. seem to like it. So what, what's the hardest character you've ever, I, I tried to write a cheerleader once and it was the hardest character I ever did. Cause I just didn't understand school <laughs> spirit and all that stuff. What was the hardest character you've ever tackled? It's an interesting question. I mean, I think the thing I wrestled with the most because I really wanted to get it right was the my, my novel, The Mirage. is a It's a 9-11 novel set in an alternate universe where basically America and the Middle East switch places. So the superpower is the United Arab States, which has got the capital at Riyadh and a financial uh-huh. center in Baghdad. And the the 9-11 attacks, basically it's it's Christian fundamentalists from Texas flying planes into these the the Tigris and Euphrates World Trade Towers in downtown Baghdad, and the story is about it's it's about these three Muslim detectives in Bag, members of Arab Homeland Security in Baghdad, and that was a I just wanted to get the culture right. I didn't want to do stereotypes, so I spent a long time wrestling with that to get it right, and and that was the one I probably was the most nervous about. But it it again you know among among the people who read it. Uh, it, it went over really well. I mean, the problem there was that when that was published, it was at a time when I think people were really getting tired of the war on terror and didn't want to think about 9-11 uh-huh. anymore. So the folks uh-huh. who read it loved it, but it was it was my least commercially successful novel in terms of, of just, I think I that was a case where my timing was wrong. But um, but then I went on and did Lovecraft Country, and, and that kind of turned things around. Yeah. So. Uh, I, right, I can't right. say for sure because I haven't actually cracked Lovecraft Country yet. I suspect I'm going to need to read all your novels. But what you sound like to me is a little bit of Vonnegut, because that was what I loved about him. He would write real things, but they were all different, and there was always that some kind of fantastic edge to them to make them more interesting. Stylistically, so, I, I don't think we have a lot in common, but you know, I uh-huh. certainly appreciate his work. So um, you know, he's in there yeah. too, I guess. It's all part of the part of the yeah. Wow. My cat likes it too. Wow! We're listening, meeting all people's pets. Yes, exactly. It's yeah. crazy. It's crazy. And you know, and you know, as a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, on that on that note, we've we've been curious, and we've we've we haven't asked anybody this yet, and maybe you'll know. You know, considering, um, how is 
all of how is like the the you know like uh you know TV land <laughs> being affected by all of this? Like, how is that going to work? You know, with the with the lockdown and the social distancing. What, do you have any idea on that? Well, I know that with Lovecraft Country, we kind of dodged a bullet in that they finished filming in January, right? And and. Uh-huh. So all the photography was done that the actors didn't need to re- regroup. By the t- so by the time the lockdown happened, that was done. And the special effects are things you can do remotely. It's, it's more difficult right. and it requires more security because you're sending big files back and forth over the Internet, but you can do that. Um, I, they're still figuring out what they're going to do, though, um, next. And, and, yeah, I – like I know Tyler Perry's been doing this thing where he he's got basically has his whole cast gather, they all get tested and then they quarantine on the set. But he can do that oh, because wow. his his things are small, are small yeah. pictures that you know. I don't know how you do a Marvel movie, and, and right. keep things safe. And the other issue I, I learned about actually just this yeah. week because is that apparently this this creates real insurance problems. Like Jean Rhys Davies apparently was interviewed this week and was saying that because he's in his late 70s, um, he's had to turn down two film roles because the the bond, the completion bond companies, the guys who basically insure the the film against you know disasters, like if an actor dies uh-huh. during it, they will not insure uh, old actors above a certain age right now because they think the risk uh-huh. of them dying of COVID is too high, and that means that those guys can't work. And it's horrible. Yeah. Awful. So they. Yeah. So Awful. yeah. It, it's yeah. Like it these are. Mean, yeah. It could mean his career is over if if this doesn't end soon, and that's just really heartbreaking. So, yeah, they're still figuring it out, and they don't know what's going to happen next. And and you know, uh, they they don't even know like are the theaters going to be open or not. So um, that's the other yeah, thing right. is how are you going to yeah. distribute these things? Yeah. It's crazy. I I'll mean, these to... are just the things that we don't don't really think about. But we, you know, it, it, mm-hmm. I wondered about it. You know, new new shows come out, and I'm like, well, I I know that this I'm sure was filmed before all of this happened. But what about the stuff that was in, you know, you know, progress at the, you know, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's gonna, but, it's gonna know, be uh, a lot of stuff's gonna be delayed. Yeah. 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 Wow. Absolutely. Well, um, oh, one one more. Well, well, a couple more questions. But first, um, yeah. what. Okay, so Lovecraft Country is is it premieres on HBO August sixteenth, which is this Sunday. What are you doing to celebrate? I'm I am going to have a small socially distanced gathering with some friends out here. They basically we have friends who have a a screen projection and sound system that they can put out on their lawn. So we're all going to gather there and sit in lawn chairs further nice. than six feet apart and and watch it together. <laughs> and uh, I'm. And, ho- and cross our fingers that it's neither too hot nor raining, which are the two yeah. things we get in Seattle right now. But um, but hopefully that will work out. Yeah, and I had, I had hoped to do a much larger party, but of course that's not going to happen. So um, yeah, this will be fun. All right. Yeah, it will be a lot and of fun. It, it will. Yeah. And what are you what are you working on next? So I just published a new novel called Eighty Eight Names, which is a a uh, a science fiction story set about 20 years in the future. Basically, it's about a guy who works as a paid guide to online role-playing games who gets a new client who he suspects may be the North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un. And the novel, wow. two-thirds of the story is set in entirely in virtual reality. So basically all the other characters that this my protagonist, John Chu, is interacting with, not just this, this guy he thinks is the dictator, but even his coworkers and his ex-girlfriend are people he's never met in real life. So he's basically 
constantly trying to guess, you know, how well he really knows the people he's dealing with because everyone he's dealing with has total control over how they look and sound. And you can look them up on social media, but you can't necessarily trust that either. So that's the basic two-second pitch of it. Um, So that just came out, and and now I'm still just sort of of figuring out what I'm going to do next. Um, Wow. This looks great. All right. I bought all your books. Yes, yes. (laughs) And I know. Well, they are all available. Yeah. And finally, where yes, can, can you tell good. our listeners where they could where they can learn more about you and your work? Where's the best place to go? Uh, come to my website, www.bymattruff.com. That's by as in a byline, B-Y. And, uh, or you can just you know, type Matt Ruff into Google, and I'll be the author that comes up. There, strangely enough, there are a lot of other Matt Ruffs. I, I did not know that when I first was looking <laughs> yeah. at the website. And I didn't listen to my mother-in-law who said, grab the mattruff.com thing before, before somebody else grabs it. And I was like, oh. But there can't be anyone else who will want that. And it turned out I was wrong. So always listen to your mother-in-law. <laughs> All right. Well, fantastic. Oh. Again, uh, the book is Lovecraft Country. It's out now. Uh, the show premieres August 16th this Sunday. Uh, and you, there's go to go to buymattruff.com. There's all kinds of stuff. Um, thank you so much for being on, Matt. Yes. We, it's a pleasure to meet you. We're looking forward it really to your is. work. Well, thank you very much. I, I had a really great time, and I really appreciate it. Uh, we did, too. And, and you're welcome right. back anytime. Um, okay, thank yep. you. Let us keep keep, okay. keep in touch, and we'll have you back again. Um, all right, thank you yes. for being on. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next week, we wish you haunted nights. And sweet screams. Thank you for listening. Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross.